Welcome, listeners. I will be your host for this evening and for as long as there's breath in my body. It's time now to bring me your trials, no matter how strange or unbelievable. The lines are open. Hello? Hello, caller. You're on the air. My name is Beverly. I'm calling from my bedroom closet. What seems to be the problem? I'm having relationship issues with my mother. Mother-daughter relationships are fraught. My whole life, my mother told me I wouldn't amount to anything. She didn't like my clothes, the way I talked, the boys I dated. It didn't matter how hard I tried, she was never satisfied. Since I couldn't make her happy, I decided to not even try. I dropped out of high school, got pregnant, started working at Edison's Bagels. Hmm, I do appreciate a good bagel. I cut my finger on some frozen spinach in the cream cheese and never told anyone. Oh. Out of spite? That's right. But after a few years of that, I decided to get my life together. I got my GED, stopped smoking, and put my daughter in 4-H so she could learn some life skills. Good for you. Angie's pumpkin bread got second at the state fair. And you know what my mother said? What? She said she got second. Ah. But I kept at it. I took night classes and worked my way up to managing two locations in the greater Topeka area. And now, ten years after dropping out of high school, I've been accepted into veterinary program at Colorado State. But even this accomplishment did not warrant a kind word from your mother? Well, this is where it gets complicated. See, when I went to my mother's apartment to show her my acceptance letter, I found her dead in her armchair, Fox News on the TV, That in itself was not too surprising. The woman had arteries of stone. But why did she have to die now? Right before I could rub my success in her face. But then I thought about one of the concepts I'd been exploring with Angie in 4-H. The reanimation of dead tissue using everyday household items. The plan was to bring my mother back for a brief moment so I could show her my acceptance letter, burn the look on her face into my mind, and then unplug her and let her rest in peace. I put my mother's body on the kitchen table, prepared the solution, and dug the toaster out of the bottom drawer. But when I brought my mom back, she wasn't my mom. I showed her the acceptance letter, and instead of being impressed or even snide, she she ate the letter and then tried to eat my hand. I unplugged the toaster, but she didn't die. She kept coming after me slack-jawed and slobbering. I ran into my room, but she broke down the door. Then I hid in my closet, but she's still coming. She's almost broken through. I hear you, Beverly. Listen to me. It may feel like you're the only person struggling with this, but let me assure you, you are not. We're never alone in our suffering, Beverly. And though you've zombified your mother's corpse, it's not too late for some- She's pounded a hole in the door with her bare fists. Mom, mom, I made it to vet school. Mom, stop trying to eat me for one second and listen! Listen to me, Beverly. It's perfectly natural for you to want affection and validation from your mother, but... It's a very competitive program! Beverly! What? The ones we love most in our lives sometimes fall short of the people we need them to be. No! Your mother, in death as in life, is not capable of giving you the validation, the love... No! ...you yearn for. No! Now listen to me. This is what you need to do. What objects are with you in the closet? Anything heavy? Anything you could use as a weapon? There's an umbrella. That will have to do. Now, first, forgive your mother. Forgive your mother, knowing that you will find inside yourself the strength you were looking for. I forgive you, Mom! Good. Now grab the umbrella and 
bash your mother in the head. Bash her, Beverly. Make your bedroom a kaleidoscope of brains. Ah! Keep bashing, Beverly, and forgive. Bash, forgive. Ah! Bash, forgive. Ah! I'm proud of you, Beverly. Thank you. Thank you. Now go forward. Live the wonderful life you've made for yourself. Go confident and free. What an amazing woman. May we all have the strength of Beverly. The strength to forgive those who have harmed us and let us down, who in their own struggles and sufferings have not lived up to who we needed them to be. May we all have the courage to let go. If you're just joining us now, I am the host. The lines are open. Listeners, friends, messengers from the beyond, as you know, I encourage complete honesty from my callers, and I in turn advise you with the full prismatic spectrum of my wisdom. So in this spirit, I wanted to share with you a criticism I received from my producer. She told me I was too woo-woo for the advertisers. (laughs) I know, listeners, I can sense your dismay over the airwaves, but fear not. Your host will never kowtow to the almighty dollar and risk the trust we've built low these many years. Let's take another call, shall we? Caller, you're on the air. Yes, and I hope you can help me host with the most ghost toast. Oh, God, why? Who says shit like that? I want to kill myself. Oh, no, caller. Death is never the answer unless one is already dead. Yes, and I might as well be if I can't get my funny back. You're funny? Please elaborate. Yes, my funny, and I'm a... was a... <laughs> sketch comedian in Chicago? I used to be the funniest in my group, and now it's just gone. It's gone. (laughs) The 60-year-old grandpa dude who wears the knee-high socks and cargo shorts and always makes every scene about abortion or homeless veterans is funnier than me now. Any hoozle. One night, my class went to an open mic together, and there's this new stand-up there. This guy. No. This thing. Who we'd never seen before. He went up later and murdered the whole room. Oh, I'm so relieved you survived the carnage, caller. If the club, bar, what have you, needs a recommendation for a good crime scene cleanup, might I suggest... Tonight's sponsor, the Clean Crafty Crew. Your crew will ensure any crime scene is purified to white robe perfection. Is that that some sort of ghost joke? That's cute. Give the Clean Crafty Crew a call today at 1-800-KKKO... Oh, no. No, 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 no. I see it now. Dana, let's cut this in post and please let's discuss vetting potential sponsors a little better in the future. I'm not mad, but Dana, this is your job. Listeners, I'm afraid I don't have any crime scene cleanup recommendations whatsoever at this time. Forgive me for the interruption, caller. Please continue. Yes, and murdering at a stand-up set just means he was really, really funny. Ah, I see. I misunderstood. It just seemed to dovetail so nicely with... Let's just put that behind us. Please, tell us what happened after the murdering caller. Yes, and I'm not proud of it, but I was super drunk, and even though he was definitely a man with a headshot, I thought it seemed like a good idea at the time. So I invited him back to my place. Never be ashamed fulfilling your sexual desires, caller. You are a modern woman with modern needs. Was he as good in the bedroom as he was on the stage? Yes. And rather kinkier than I expected, which was fun. But then, 
The next morning I woke up and took to Twitter to compose my usual, highly retweetable, hilarious current event commentary and... nothing. And it was the morning that Trump said that thing? It should have been a bloodbath of witticisms. That's when I realized he and my funny were both gone. He took it. (laughs) Dry your tears, caller. Whoever he is, I can assure you he doesn't deserve them. Walk me through that night. I'm sure together we can find a solution to your missing humors. Yes, and I want... Sorry to interrupt, but I've noticed a pattern in your responses. You seem compelled to begin everything with yes and. Is this something we need to unpack? Yes, and that's because yes and is the only thing I have left of my training. A basic level 1A amateur hour rule that in our advanced class usually only rears its pathetic head in the form of... Yes, and after we leave this 1940s Parisian picnic, I'm going to go perform some abortions with a group of homeless veterans. I'm leaning on the same crutch now as that guy. How is that guy even in the group still? Now that guy is probably somewhere with the rest of the class asking how I'm even in the group still. How am I supposed to live with myself if that guy is his... his... Caller? Caller? I want, I want you to find a paper bag, which we all have around our houses for exactly this purpose. Place it over your mouth and inhale and exhale its brown comforts. Have you found one? Yes, and... No. Yeah. Yeah. Stop. You can do this. You don't have to be that person. No. No. I don't have to be that person. I'm proud of you. I knew you could do it. Now, let's figure out where your humors went. Tell me about this man. I was so drunk, I'm honestly not even sure he was a man. I mean, I think he was, but I've had my share of one-nighters, and the only thing those soft boys took from me was, like, my underwear or the rest of my coconut water. This guy took, and, like, not to be dramatic here, the very essence of my inner me. Somehow. Like with his penis. Speaking of his penis, caller, was his penis exceptionally large? It was dark, and my brownout was in full swing by that point. But now that you mention it, he did say something about having to unwrap it from around his leg when I was taking his pants off. But I thought he was joking. He was one of those always-on guys. How exhausting. It was like he had reserves of hilarity he was drawing from. It was nuts. We were all supposed to have five-minute sets, but he went on so long that he bumped the three women in the line after him. I tried to talk to one of the girls he bumped later, but she just walked right out the door, muttering to herself. Hmm, interesting. I wonder if we could jump back to the penis for a moment. Was the penis exceptionally cold, like being made love to by a smooth ice dildo expertly sculpted in the frigid winds of a polar vortex? Wait, wait. He told me that was ice play. He said it was where you take an ice cube and rub it all over your enormous anaconda dick. He said, cold is the hot new thing in sex. I thought it was weird when my hush started to steam while we were doing it, but he just said, shh, this is normal. So I went with it and took a cranberry pill after. Now that I've said this out loud, I'm really hearing it. Yes, I think you've come to the same conclusion that I have, caller. Based on everything you've told me, I'm afraid it sounds like your humors have been sexually abducted by an incubus. That is exactly what I thought as well. Those things are a nuisance to society. First they destroy music, and now one is destroying my very high chance of getting on Saturday Night Live only nine months after my first improv class. 
I hear your devastation, and I validate it, but I encourage you to not give up hope. You're by no means the first woman to have her gift stolen by one of these vile creatures, nor will you be the last. However, your talentlessness can be temporary. You are more than just your humors. But is there a way for me to get, um, my humors back? I would really prefer that it not involve me having to sleep with him again. As a woman, you are in possession of powers in excess of simply the comedic and the other C-word. All incubi can be defeated, and though the methods may differ, the end result must be the same. They must be pilloried on the altar of dignity. Humiliated. They must be humiliated. For this particular incubus, I recommend that you gather a coven absent of straight white men. All incubi take this form, and so none can be trusted. And attend your incubus next show. Have your sharpest, meanest witch heckle him so incessantly that he can't get through more than a minute of his tight ten. Ensure that he's followed in the lineup by the witch whose humors you most respect and admire. Then, as he hunches in shame over his craft beer at the bar, you must summon your inner Ashley Graham in your most confident attire. Sidle up to him. Comfort. Seduce. And just at the moment he thinks he's going to get a chance to steal even more of your power, lean over and whisper into his ear. No thanks. I've had better. When the first tear falls from his eye and lands in his waiting beer, take it from his hand, drink it down, and saunter out with your witches. Your humor should be restored in three to four business days. Oh, cool. Yeah, I can do that. That's it? Yes, and then you have to ritualistically sacrifice him and bathe in his blood. What? No. (laughs) The tear beer will do. I was just making a little improv joke. I have humors too. Please let me know how it goes, caller. I have faith in you, I believe in you, and I wish you the best of luck. We're going to take a quick break from calls to give everyone time to process and breathe. Listening to the troubles of others is in itself a labor of empathy. It can feel liberating or burdensome. I encourage everyone to accept the experience as it comes to you tonight. With me in the studio is show favorite, Evan the Desert Ranger. He's brought with him some more of his nocturnal animal sounds. Hello, Evan. Hi, host. It looks like you've brought a plastic tub. Sure have. Tell us more about it, or about what it contains. Well, it has 21 toads. Want to look? Thank you for that, Evan. And before we go on, I I want to apologize to Dana. I took a deep look at myself while I was listening to those toads and discovered that I've been largely unkind to Dana tonight. I'm sorry, Dana. I had to rip out ten rows of my knitting right before the show, and I took it out on you. She's given me the thumbs up. The universal sign of forgiveness. I'm so relieved. On with the show. Caller, are you there? I gotta be quick, host. Need to get back to work. Ah, are you working the graveyard shift? In the morning, and the swing shift. (laughs) But that's not the point. The short of it is, it's my husband. Yes, that's quite short, caller. Too short, in fact. Pray give us a few more details. He's a good guy. He he really is. Tristan and Taylor love him to death. Your children? Yes, the nuggets. (laughs) Adorable. Yet... I sense there's more to your husband than being a good guy and a loving father. 
right. Uh, I'll make this quick. I really should be getting back to work. Uh, Dave, my husband, is an actor. We met in college, but he dropped out before finishing because he booked a role on Buffy, you know, one of the demons. <laughs> what a lovely show. By any chance, is your husband David Hoosie, what's it? I always forget how to say that man's last name. David Boreanaz? Uh, no, no, my, my Dave is just in the background getting his butt kicked. <laughs> but meanwhile, uh, I, I finished school and then got my law degree from UCLA. Go Bruins. <laughs> a great school, I hear. Though I'm still fuzzy on what a Bruin actually is. Uh, it's Dutch for brown as in brown bear, hence the bear in the logo. I picked up Dutch last month. <laughs> Fascinating language. Anyway, Dave worked on a few more shows. I started my career as a defense attorney and things were all right great even. We were in love and wanted to have kids. But then after Taylor was born, Dave stopped booking. Not not to just be a dad, though. He, he tried to get jobs, but he just he couldn't. It, it's been five years since he's done more than audition. You know, every callback gets his hopes up. But for five years, those hopes have been perpetually pummeled. That's wonderful alliteration, caller. Very poetic. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I've published a few volumes of poetry in the past year or so. Language is the linchpin of my profession. A published poet? My god, do you have any idea how rare that is? You must share some of your poetry with us, caller. Oh, there's really no time. I, I just need some advice on what to do with Dave. Right, Dave. He is in the midst of a dry spell, I understand. Has it put any financial strain on the family? Oh, by no means. In fact, we're looking at buying a third home in Tahoe. My, my caseload has been lucrative enough of late, but the poetry has sold surprisingly well worldwide, especially since I've been able to translate it all myself. And then there's the hedge fund I run. No, no, money, money's not an issue. You are quite busy, caller, aren't you? Oh, I, I can manage all that, no problem. It's, it's, it's the resentment I, I can't manage. You feel your husband resents you for all your successes? I've been making my way through a long list of psychology texts. I, I listen to them while I do my marathon training. And they've reinforced what I know to be true. Dave resents me for all my success. Have you talked about it with him? Perhaps seen a counselor? I mean, of course we've talked about it. He, he always just tells me how proud he is of me and asks if I need a break. And he usually suggests a weekend getaway to a spa. He, he clearly doesn't understand me. That's, that's my version of hell. It's like Dave just wants me to stop working so that he doesn't feel as bad about not landing any work on his own. I've, I've offered to help him. I've made my fair share of connections and can get him in a room with any number of producers, but he, he won't do it. At the risk of striking a nerve collar, I must ask at this point how you've managed to attain such success and to remain so prolific in the first place. Oh, the, the usual stuff. Sterling parents, natural talent. Tremendous hard work, a little bit of luck. Uh, oh, and, um... And? My extreme burst of productivity started after I got this high-profile defendant acquitted. That, that night, I came home with the news that we'd won, and I, I could tell there was something off with Dave. He, he acted happy for me, but his, his eyes, the resentment had begun to trickle into his eyes like a glacial rivulet into a clear mountain pool. What wondrous poetry. Had Dave expected you to lose the case? Was there anything else unique about it? 
I received a wealth of accolades from the firm, along with my client and his family. Oh, in fact, his grandmother was so pleased. She insists on gifting me a necklace. It's, oh, it's beautiful. It has a nice-sized ruby in it, too. <laughs> I'd usually turn down any gift from a client, but the, but the grandmother was so insistent, and it was a nice necklace, and once she'd clasped it on me, it just felt right. And you're saying that since that moment you've been on your winning streak? Yes. And meanwhile, your husband resents your success and you've been struggling with that. Yes, I just don't know if we can make it work. I, I know we should for the kid's sake, but I don't know if I can handle that look in his eyes anymore. And I needed to talk to someone about it. And your program was the only one that even remotely fits my hours. So there, there, caller. Thank you for sharing your life with us. Now, just one more follow-up question. This necklace, have you taken it off? Uh, what, what do you mean? Of course, you've removed the necklace these past 18 months to shower, to sleep, for your marathon training? Uh, actually, no. Like I said, it just feels right, even in the shower, uh, even in a run. Caller, are you saying you've not once taken off the necklace? I guess... I guess that's right. <laughs> and Dave, was he curious about the necklace? Was he jealous? Has he asked you to remove it? Well, he, he doesn't love it. <laughs> Wishes that he'd have been the one to give it to me, you know? <laughs> just one more way to resent me. I just, I don't know if I can stay with a guy who is silently judging me for all my success. A very reasonable and emotionally well-adjusted consideration, caller. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something for me. Can you please remove the necklace? Just take it off and set it next to you. Um, why? <laughs> Just a hunch, caller. Humor an indeterminately aged radio host, would you? Okay. <laughs> Have you removed it? Um, yep, definitely. I've taken it off and set it on my desk. Caller? Yes? The necklace is still on, isn't it? Caller, I have your best interest in mind. Take the necklace off. Why should I have to? It's it's just a necklace. It has nothing to do with Dave, which is why I called in the first place, and now I've spent half of the night with you when I have mountains of things to do. Ah, but it is not just a necklace, and it has everything to do with Dave. You see, if I'm understanding you, as I suspect I am, your necklace is cursed. <laughs> cursed? How? I... I've only done good in the past 18 months. I've accomplished so much, inspired people, made them rich, helped to raise two lovely young girls. I mean, curses are evil. I'm sorry to say, caller, but that's not correct. Curses are neutral. It's what people do with a curse that makes it good or evil. And sometimes we get a curse like the one on your necklace. It appears this particular curse has enabled you to live a life of superhuman productivity. As long as you wear it, I imagine you will continue your winning streak. And uh, if I take it off? First, you would have to muster the strength to remove the necklace. That will be no small feat. Would Shakespeare willingly give up his quill or LeBron his ball? But if you manage to remove the necklace, then I imagine you will sleep for about a week, then be able to have a conversation with your husband while you are both on the same level. You mean, um, you think he might stop resenting me... That, that we could work things out? 
I anticipate there would still be challenges. But yes, the resentment would evaporate, along with your superhuman abilities. But, host, can I just leave the necklace on and come up with some way of repairing our relationship? I mean, if it really is a curse, and if I would really be able to continue producing such amazing things, couldn't I produce something to save our marriage? Dear caller... Uh, I do not believe you would be on with me tonight if that were possible. Leave the necklace as it is, and who knows what wonders you may help deliver to humanity. As long as your heart is in the right place, remove the necklace and I can almost guarantee a rekindling of your romance with Dave. But that, that's not fair. There, there has to be another choice. I'm terribly sorry, caller. I see only two choices this time. But I don't, I don't know. I... I don't know. I, I, I don't know. And, and, and I don't have time for this. Well, listeners, uh, what do we think our caller will choose? And for that matter, I must ask myself, what would I choose in her position? It would keep me up at night if I weren't awake with you already. <laughs> and now it's time for a quick word from our sponsors. Fryman's Fencing, because good fences make good neighbors and even better fences. And Georg's apples. If you like apples, you might like these. Okay, Dana, let's keep them coming. This is some bullshit. Hello, this is your host. You're on the air. This isn't real. This is a stress dream or a stress hallucination or something related to stress. Not real. This is not real. Dearest caller, I assure you that I am very real. Now, tell me what seems to be bothering you. I spent all week working in my idea notebook. My company is going public on Monday. I rolled up to the club to get my dick to get my dick to have a nice time. An attractive female agreed to come home with me, but then... But then... I bring her around to my car, a Tesla red beautiful machine. I spent so much money on it. It's a special kind of red, not the standard one. But it won't start because there are these weird little gremlins in it. I urge you to take a deep breath. Do it with me. Uh, breathe in. Hold. Now out. Okay, I did it. The chick's gone. She's cold or some sh**. Now I just want these vermin out of my car so I can leave. This car is a real beauty and I won't have her defiled. Every plastic part has been dipped in a special coating and all the metal parts are waxed and so shiny. Hey, don't touch that. I would never. Can you please describe the creatures? I know for certain you aren't dealing with gremlins because, dear listener, those are not real. They're small and sort of lumpy, like they're made out of Play-Doh. They have very sharp teeth and one bit me. Have any of them farted at you or made rude gestures of any sort? Yes! Oh, yes, I see. You were dealing with brownies. I'm not talking about dessert, lady. I'm talking about little goblin things. Fuck! Dear caller, I think that the problem isn't just about the brownies, which, by the way, is what these delightful creatures are. I think the problem might just be about you. They pulled out my nose hair! That must be hard. It is! But the brownies are reacting to something you did. They aren't behaving this way for no reason. Let's look at your behavior and see how it might be impacting others. Have you disrupted a fairy circle or in any way disturbed their offerings? Uh, well... I can hear in your voice that you have. Look, you crystal-gazing witch. I want this fixed. Not a he said, they said. Well... One sec. My mechanic is on the other line. Dear caller, you called me. 
That was not what I call correct behavior, dear listeners. This man clearly has made a grave mistake and is having trouble coming to terms with his imperfections. He seems to be almost erotically fixated on his car, and that, dear listener, is not the way to matrimonial bliss. I'm back, and the f- AAA guy is here, and he says it's fine, but it clearly isn't. My company is going public in three days, and I don't have time for any of this. I've heard your side of the story, young man. Now, please pass the phone to the brownies. I'd like to hear what they have to say. No way. I'm not giving them my phone. Then I hope your mechanic can help you. Wait, wait. Fine. I'll do it. One sec. Hello, dear brownies. I would like to hear your side of the story. Oh. Oh, my. He took your food and sparkles? Well, that is inexcusable. Dear listeners, this means that he not only parked his car on the lawn in their circle, but he also threw about the offerings of other humans who know how to behave. Please, dear ones, tell me a little about the car. Oh, yes, sorry. Tell me about the large red beast. Well, yes, that is a very nice offering he put into the circle. I agree that there are many places to hide, and I understand why you want it to be your new kingdom. Thank you for your much-needed perspective. Please pass the phone back now. Yes, of course you may moon him. Thank you. (laughs) Hello? What's happening? Is my car fixed? Dear caller. Dear, dear caller. Your car is not your friend. It is not your value in this world. It is not your romantic partner or your business partner or your grocer. It is, very simply, a fancy box that gets you from place to place. This is some f***ing nonsense. Nonsense or not, you placed your car in the fairy circle, and that is a legally binding contract. The car no longer belongs to you, it belongs to the brownies. Now, dear caller, you need to let go of who you thought you would be, a very boring, very rich tech mogul, and make room for who you are now, the guardian of the brownies' kingdom. They would like to go on a leisurely drive tonight, so please make sure to bring enough snacks. Do you know how much money I'm going to make when this goes public? You've been no help whatsoever. What a night, listeners. Life doesn't always turn out the way we plan, now does it? Sometimes we must make room for the unexpected. Remember that you are not truly in charge of your fate, but you are in charge of the way you react. And please be careful of fairy rings. You do not want those lawyers sent after you. Let's take a moment and breathe deeply as we let go of that which we cannot control. Now, if you're just joining us, you are like the very rude yogi who arrives at class when we are already in Shavasana. I am the host, and it is my bedtime. I will be here for you all tomorrow. Farewell. This episode of The Host was written by Amy Carver, Sarah Kenny, Mitch Carver, and Sarah Greenleaf. It was performed by Rachel Ewing, Amy Carver, Mitch Carver, Kim Baranti, David Seltzer, Sarah Greenleaf, and Sarah Kenny. Music by Steve Metz. Created by Amy Carver. If you'd like to contribute, please send us an email at thehostpodsubmissions at gmail.com. Until next time, good night.